Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I am your host, Derek Diamond. And for today's show, I'm really excited about this discussion because we are talking screenwriting, everything from getting your story started to rewrites, getting feedback, and what to do with your script when it's done. And I thought there'd be no better guest than a returning guest, the writer, director, and producer of the short film Servi, as well as writer of half a dozen short films, Mr. Steve Wise. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, thanks for having me back, Derek. And by the way, I can I can think of a lot more people that uh, <laughs> might be better guests than, than I am, but, uh, but I appreciate you saying that. No, no, it's all good. I think this is actually the first time you've been back since our, our epic Star Wars marathon that we did yeah. uh, last year. Yeah, which, uh, that was a blast. Uh, well, yeah, anytime you talk Star Wars, it, it's, it's a fun <laughs> time. I think we, we spent like nearly four hours recording and I had to split it into three different episodes. So that was, uh, that was a fun little venture. But I, I wanted to have you on the show today. Uh, to discuss screenwriting, because screenwriting is, you know, all films start with an idea, whether it's, you know, something you randomly think of driving in the car or discussion that you have with friends. You're like, oh, that would make for a, a great short feature, whatever the case may be. But putting it to paper is a bit more difficult than than people might expect. So um, talk to me about when did you fall in love with the screenwriting aspect of of the process and kind of go into you know how to get your script started uh well just to give you a little history i i uh have been making short films i guess uh with my friends since i was eight years old and uh, i actually wrote my first uh screenplay if you will for i was about 11 i think 11 or 12. Um, and I tried my hand at, at a couple of them. I was doing some playwriting also um, at that age. And, uh, but I, I actually wrote my first feature length screenplay when I was 15. That's uh, something I still have yet to do. So the fact that I'm talking to somebody who's done it at 15, that's, that's pretty awesome. So what, what was the script about? Uh, it was an adventure story. Okay. Teenagers. So did, did you... Did you know from an early age, like the proper formatting, story structure, things like that? Um, I really had no idea about. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just kind of, you know, of course, at that age, you're, you're learning and you're just kind of experimenting. And I didn't have a whole lot of access to uh, materials, you know, other screenplays. So I was just kind of winging it and doing what I, because I'd read a lot of plays. And so I was kind of using that as a guideline. Um couple screenplays that I actually did read when I was young. Um, when I was in sixth grade, uh, the TV show The Waltons actually had a very special episode uh, that where one of the girls, her husband had gone away to um, you know, in the army and he was at, the character was at Pearl Harbor uh, during the attack and ended up getting killed. And so the whole episode revolved around, uh, you know, uh, the notification of that she received that her her husband had died uh, during the Pearl Harbor attack, and they they actually printed the screenplay or the, you know the teleplay 
in the newspaper. And so I was able to get a copy of that earlier that day. And we actually read it in class. And then um, maybe a day or two earlier. And so when they had the, the actual um, episode aired, I was sitting there in front of the television reading the script along with it. And so that was my first real introduction to, uh, even though it wasn't in proper format, it's still, um, you know, because they, they kind of rewrote it for, for the general public. Um, but it still gave me a, an insight into how a screenplay was, was written for, you know, or a script was written for, for the screen. Um, and then another resource I had uh, as a teenager was in the, in the early mid 80s, there was a magazine that was actually the Twilight Zone magazine. And each issue had a teleplay by Rod Serling so from one of the original episodes. And so I had a whole collection of those, I still have those magazines somewhere in the box. Um, but reading through those, that, that was another insight into, oh, okay, this is how it, it's, you know, you write something that's for the screen, that's, that's intended for actors to read and for the director to take. And to a little different writing style than what we have today, but it's still, um, that was kind of what I was using as a basis. Yeah, and it's interesting because you know now that I've I've written a script and I've I've read a couple that you know I know you've sent me um, you've sent me a couple I've found others online. It's interesting going back and watching the actual film after reading the script because I feel like you give you get like a whole different type of appreciation for the process. Right. Um, yeah, I've read a lot of a lot of screenplays uh, of movies that I've liked and. Um, in fact, I've got somewhere in one of my bookcases, I've got um, the, uh, uh, some of the Star Wars movies and some of the Star Trek films. Uh, they released uh, like the screenplay in a bound uh, published edition, which was kind of nice. Um, and it is kind of interesting reading the script from a movie that you are familiar with because it, you, you notice lines that are different and um, just a way that it's described you know how it ended up playing out on the screen. If you read the script ahead of time, um, which I've done actually for, for a couple of Batman movies, uh, Batman Returns and Batman Begins specifically, um, I read both of those scripts before the movies came out. And so going into the film, I already had knowledge of how they were written. Uh, in the case of Batman, uh, no, I'm sorry, Batman Returns, uh, the version I read was one uh, before I believe it was Wesley Strick got a hold of it or was, was given it and he his job was to cut it down because it was just too unwieldy for them to film and they ended up uh, postponing production by a few weeks to allow him to just chop scenes and he ended up not wanting his name on the movie because uh, he just basically just butchered the script just to make it shorter. And, yeah. and it shows in, in, in the uh, final product, even though it's my favorite Batman film, the, the, the story is very disjointed and it's because they just chop scenes. And, you know, going into the film, it's like I had this expectation. It's like, wait a minute, this is different. <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting because now, now I'm thinking back to that movie and it's been a while since I've watched it. But yeah, I can see where it would be a little disjointed in some places. But 
Um, kind of moving on to more aspects of the screenwriting process. So you went to, to school, film school at University of Central Florida. What, yes, were, some, what were some of the, the biggest lessons that you learned about the screenwriting process while you were at UCF? Um, primarily uh, just the, the, the formatting and having had the opportunity to get feedback uh, for both from, from you know, the professor, um, the instructor, and, or instructors, I should say, because I took several screenwriting classes, um, and other students who read good feedback. Um, you know, it, it was a little bit of an eye opener because, like I said, I'd been kind of navigating myself just, you know, without really knowing fully how to, how to go about structuring and in formatting. Um, I kind of had a instinct for it, but um, until you're actually given direct instruction that, you know, this is the proper way to go about doing it, um, you know, you're just kind of left guessing. And um, so, it, you know, one of, one of the biggest lessons, I guess, um, was, you know, what the industry expects. And, you know, because you, you have to talk the same language. And, you know, if if people in the industry read something that's amateurish or that, you know, is not what they're used to, they flag it immediately as not professional and it's an excuse to discard it because they're always looking for reasons to say no. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because that was actually going to be my next question is why is the structure and formatting so important? Well. But no, but no <laughs> that, that, that answers that. So, um, Talk to me a little bit, you know, because as I mentioned, you've written, you know, half a dozen short films. Where, what, um, if someone comes to you and says, how do I get started with, with my script? What would be the first thing that you tell them? Um, as far as like, if they wanted to do a short film themselves? Correct. Okay. Um, the biggest thing is, coming up with a, the good concept and a solid concept, because if you're doing something on a short, you know, I mean, every kind of, every screenplay is different and uh, you have to figure out what your market is and what you're planning on doing. With the screenplay. So for instance, if you're doing a feature like screenplay, you know, what are you, what is your intent for that? Obviously it would be difficult for the average person to shoot it themselves. So you're either going to put it into a, um, you know, contest or film festival, or try to sell it, um, or just have it as something that's like, yeah, yeah, I did this, cool. Um, so if you're doing it for yourself, that's one thing. But if you're doing it for other people, it's a situation. For a short film, most people who are writing short films, they're doing it because they intend to direct it or produce it themselves. And so the biggest challenge is narrowing the, the scope down um, to where it's something that could be feasibly shot in, in on the budget that they're working with. Um, so for instance, you know, you need to look at locations and the number of characters um, and in the length and other production value, if you will, that, um, you know, what can you do to make it cinematic, but at the same time, uh, you know, how do you keep it within a range that is reasonable for what you are able to achieve. So that, that would be my first advice as far as 
you know, conceptualizing it and just kind of, you know, figuring out what exactly you want to do with this. Well, I can speak from past experience. You know, you, you write your script and we'll, we'll get into rewrites here in a second, but there's so much more that goes into it. And speaking from experience, you know, when we did the Parker syndrome a couple of years ago, there was a lot that I didn't know about it as far as judging location, what's going to be feasible to do. Because I remember in the original draft, I had several more characters. And one of the pieces of advice that you gave me was, you know, is this character necessary to the story? Because with a short, you only have a certain amount of time to tell your story. With a feature, you can get away with it more, but with a short, it's, you know, you kind of get to the point and every scene has to drive the story. Well, and realistically, that same um, advice applies to features also, because you think, oh, well, I've got two hours to tell the story. I've got all the time in the world. But then when you start, you know, actually putting it together, unless your story is very thin, um, in which case then you need to kind of go back to the drawing board and see, you know, where the story is faltering. But, you know, if you have a two-hour story, every scene counts because, you know, kind of like with Batman Returns, here's this big blockbuster major motion picture, and they realized two weeks before they were starting to film that they it was just too big for them. You know, it was just too much to, for them to shoot. So they had to go in and just cut scenes. And try to, you know, try to um, sew all the pieces together to make it cohesive, um, and which whether or not they were successful is debatable. <laughs> but um, so, but for a short film, yeah, like, like I said, you're dealing with, you know, whatever resources you have. If you happen to own a camera and you're able to shoot it yourself, great. But you know, more times than not, the person writing the script who's who's intending to direct it. Um, you're, you're having to rely on other people, you're having to rely on another crew, you know, or, or crew to bring in, and you're relying on actors who are giving up their time to be in a project that hopefully they think is kind of cool. And you want to give everybody something, you know, reason to work on this, you know, other than just, oh, I'm helping my friend. You know, what what is it about this story that is enough to make people excited about working on it because if you can get people excited about working on it you're going to have people excited about watching and ultimately you know that's that's the goal for anything no matter what size or scope it is is for the audience to enjoy it and and to get something out of it yeah and the I, i say this almost ad nauseum with shows that i do and various interviews and whatnot my favorite aspect of the filmmaking process and I got it with the Parker syndrome and I also got it, you know, with working on survey was the collaboration because mm-hmm. I use this analogy a lot. A film is a giant machine and everyone from the director, writer, DP, all the way down to the PAs are all cogs in that machine and they all have to work together in order for the machine to run. And it's a really rewarding process in my opinion. It can be very rewarding. It can be very frustrating. It can be a lot of different emotions. Uh, It's just, but it all starts with the story. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's things that, you know, you're going to be running into production problems every step of the way, probably. Um, Actors who can't say a lot. So you have to try to figure out how best to 
rewrite the line where because it just it, it can't get out of their mouth and, and i've run into that myself where it's like I, I just i can't wrap my mouth around these words and you know so you as the writer you have to figure out okay what's what's the intent behind this line and can i rewrite it you're going to run into location problems you're going to run into weather problems you're going to run into technical aspects of things where yeah um you know you didn't anticipate equipment malfunctions and so now suddenly we're short on time and we have to you know quickly wrap up what, what we're doing to make it we can actually have a have a movie um a lot of that doesn't have anything to do with the writer per se but you know you as the writer um you want it to kind of think about things when you're going into it like, like i was saying you know if, if you are planning on directing it what potential problems are you going to be running into because you've written yourself into a corner uh, um, <laughs> let's face it with and this is a story i tell all the time regarding survey is i wanted to do a movie where two people were sitting in a room talking and uh, just because i wanted it simple i wanted it you know, to where I could just work with the actors, not worry too much about the camera, just, you know, and technique. I just wanted, you know, good performances. And uh, as I started writing this thing, <laughs> it ended up being five actors, including a child, in the woods, all exteriors, uh, with special effects and fight scenes. So I wrote myself <laughs> into a situation to where, um, I had a lot of production problems. And I mean, and so I knew because of, you know, having had a certain amount of experience that I was gonna have to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. Um, the fight scenes in particular were gonna have to be well choreographed ahead of time. And fortunately, Desso Faulkner came in and was able to handle, you know, uh, choreographing those fights. And, you know, I had special effects, and makeup effects that I had to worry about. And, you know, we brought in a drone and, you know, so these were all things that um, were above and beyond my role as a writer, but that role as a writer was the reason why my role as a producer and as a director then became more complicated. Um, you know, but it served the story. And yeah. if it didn't serve the story, you know, because there, there were things that, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Chris Kubiak because he, I was kind of bouncing ideas off of him early on. And he's like, well, we can have a caravan of people. No, Chris, we can't. <laughs> so, like, I can't afford to bring in a cart and horses and costume up a bunch of extras for, like, no, it's just not going to happen. Um, so, you know, I had to kind of think about, well, what's the best way of doing this? And even though we ended up with five characters, each you know, which is kind of, you know, large cast for a movie like this, but each character served a purpose and had to be there for a reason. Um, you know, if we, if we lost one, then the story would change. And then I'd have to, you know, kind of rethink what the best way to tell the story would be. So, but, you know, those are all things that as a writer going into it, that I had to take into consideration and location was, was the biggest, biggest issue. And if I didn't find a good location, no matter what the story was, I wouldn't be able to tell the story. I'm just picturing that conversation with you and Chris, and it's hilarious. 
<laughs> but that, that's actually a, a good segue into what I wanted to talk about next, and that is character development. Because as a writer, characters are... They, they drive the story. They are the most important aspect of the story to me. So uh, talk about some of the challenges that you've had uh, with character development and how you've worked around them. Um, well, one challenge that I have personally is um, making all the characters sound, sound like me. <laughs> and to some degree, that is okay if you have a particular character that is my stand-in, <laughs> um, but in order to bring that character's voice out and make each character unique, and not only within within the script, but from one screenplay to another, you know, I, if you read a collection of my work, you know, I hope there's a common voice that's there, but I hope that the characters don't all sound the same, and you know, so you. You know, you have to find out what the inner workings of the characters are. You know, what, what are their motivations? Uh, I mean, you can take a whole master class on, on writing characters, but it, it's a very similar thing that actors go through as far as analyzing, you know, what is this person's personality? What are their quirks? Um, what is their speech pattern? What are their desires, their wants, their needs? What are the challenges that they have in front of them? Um, you know, Pixar... <laughs> they have kind of a list of things of, you know, their, their rules of storytelling. And one is your protagonist figuring out what they, you know, what they like, what they do, what, they, what they're good at, and then giving them the polar opposite to where they now have to do something that's completely different and out of their, their realm of, their, you know, their comfort level. And... You know, so you, you, you have to kind of think about, okay, what are the dynamics between these? And specifically, you have to identify who the protagonist is. Because if, if you don't know, and I've seen this, you know, the reason I'm bringing this up, because I've, I've seen this, I've, I, you know, I've judged screenplay contests, and I've read a lot of screenplays in my life uh, from, from other people. And it's sometimes hard to distinguish who exactly is... Um, your main character and and when once you identify that person then what is their character arc you know where do they start and where are they going to finish you know, are, are they a dynamic character and um you know how do they grow through the course of the story um, a lot of times you don't see that growth it's just a stagnant character and um and also you know how how do they relate with the you know, with one another, um, you know, you, if you have, you know, let's say your protagonist has um, three supporting characters to interact with, well, that person is going to interact with each one of those characters in a different way. So, you know, he might be attracted to someone or he might really dislike another person or, you know, or a third person might be a coworker that he treats on a very professional base, you know, manner as opposed to a personal manner. So, you know, you kind of have to take that into consideration also that, um, you know, the, the dialogue that you have, the scenes that you build are going to be driven by that character and the way that he responds to situate or she responds to situations and in the choices of the, of the protagonist. Because, you know, you're, you're, 
story is driven by the character mm-hmm. and it's um you know so once you kind of figure out what that protagonist is then you're even though you might have your plot you know that you, okay there's certain things that you know your plot demands but your protagonist may make decisions that take you in a different direction and you realize oh wait um he's not going to go that way and so where is he going to go where which the decisions and, and it all comes from internal um that might lead in a completely different surprising direction than you don't expect kind of like going from two people sitting in a room talking to a either pre-civilization or post-apocalyptic type of short Right. <laughs> but but I, but I mean, that's so I recently took Aaron Sorkin's master class. And the first lesson, oh, that, mm-hmm, the first lesson that he taught was your protagonist has to have two things, mm-hmm. intention and obstacle. Right. You have to have what does the character want to do and what's keeping him from doing it? Exactly. So no, it, you, you echo that, you know, 100 percent. Well, conflict is what drives the story. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, back in high school, in fact, uh, one of my English teachers was talking about how, um, you know, give an example of, oh, there's this young couple and the, the guy just came back from war and, you know, he gets with his girlfriend and marries her and they settle down and they love each other and they live happily ever after. Okay, that's not a story because there's no conflict. <laughs> so you have to build that conflict in, in, in a screenplay, no matter if you're writing a short or writing a feature, uh, you have to have your overarching conflict. Now, what is that main conflict, which basically comes down to your log line, uh, the one sentence that describes your movie. Person yeah. A has this goal and has this conflict and has to overcome that conflict. That's the story. You can build in all these other complications around, but what your main conflict is, is your story. And it no matter if it's prose or screenplay format or TV or you know, whatever medium you're working in. Um, but the thing is with screenplays, like I said, you don't have that luxury to just meander. You know, a novel, let's face it, you, know, you, you can, even though uh, you know, experts may, may advise against it, but I've read a lot of meandering novels in my lifetime. And where you can just kind of take your time and develop and go into the character's backstory and, and you know, the history of this town and, and things that don't directly relate to the, to the plot. Um, but in a screenplay, you have to be efficient. It has to, you know, every scene has to be a building block to advance the story. And, um, and yeah, that conflict has to be, has to be present. Um, every scene has to have conflict. No matter if it's conflict of, oh, I'm out of coffee. I just woke up and I'm tired and I have to get my day started and the, I can't drink coffee because, not that I drink coffee, but your character might drink coffee. And, you know, so that that's just a conflict that may be just a complete aside and the actual scene might be about something else that, you know, the character... Um, is going through his mail and you know, trying to get ready for work or whatever, you know, maybe a mundane situation. But that little bit of conflict there 
makes makes the scene interesting. And you know, if you have a dialogue scene between two characters, you know, do both the characters have the same goal, or does one character have a goal that is conflicting with the other character? And even if it's just a matter of, you know, one character doesn't want to talk to the other one, and or doesn't want to reveal something, and is trying to keep it a secret, and, and you know, or just keep it personal, and the other one just keeps digging, and you know, or there's a personality conflict where one person characters doesn't like the other one, and so you're running into these little conflicts all the time that may or may not have any direct bearing on the overall conflict, um, but it still it builds that scene, it builds the drama, builds the you know just the interest because people like watching conflict. <laughs> like, what's the problem? Yeah, we want to want to see the problem and see it resolved. Well, yeah, and like you mentioned, the little nuances like the the coffee, even though it may not drive the main story it's still something that you know, i'm sure most of us coffee drinkers could probably relate to at, at some point so it's like you know little nuances connect with different people in different ways so i i, I like little things like that also a uh, shout out to nick smith who's watching on facebook live he says no coffee with exclamation points <laughs> afterwards hey nick how you doing <laughs> So you mentioned dialogue, and I know that's something that I personally struggle with is writing good dialogue because for me personally, I'll write something and I'm like, there's no way that people would actually talk like this. So what um, what are some of the challenges that, you know, that you've had with dialogue or that others might have with dialogue and how would you recommend dealing with them? Um, well, one bit of advice that I've heard in the past is can't really do it in today's climate right right at the moment but you know go to the mall or go to a restaurant or go somewhere where there's people and listen to just stay in the background if you bring a recorder you know don't share it with anybody it's just for your own personal uh reference and research but listen to speech patterns listen to dialect listen to how people relate to each other because you know we talk in a shorthand and you know, I, I try to say complete sentences when I, when I talk, uh, don't always succeed in that. Um, a lot of times I feel like I'm either rambling or uh, just I'm not communicating very well to people when I, when I speak. Um, and you might have a character like that, you know, who just gets tongue tied and doesn't know how to respond to people. So, you know, I mean, think about your own, um, you know, where you're coming from in your own experiences, but also look at people around you and see the way that they talk. But but here's here's the pro one problem that a lot of writers um, and I've been accused of doing the same thing is surface um, dialogue and not writing subtext. Subtext is like the <laughs> hardest thing about screenwriting uh, because you want to explicitly say things you know this character is upset so he's going to say i'm mad well chances are human beings aren't going to say that necessarily you know you might say everything around it no i'm fine what what's the tone of voice what's the you know 
What's the body language? What's the actions? So if you pair up an action that the character is doing with the dialogue, the action can be direct opposite of what the dialogue is saying. And, you know, it's like, oh, no, I really enjoy this movie. And the character's sitting there you know, with his arms crossed and just, you know, scowling when he says it, you know, because his girlfriend is making him watch this, you know, um, romantic comedy that he doesn't want to watch. So, he, you know, no, no, it's, it's fine. I like this movie. Well, no, he doesn't. The subtext is there that he's, he's not telling the truth. Um, if you have given the audience a piece of information earlier, and now the character is, you know, and we know that the character has that bit of information, but is not expressly stating it, but kind of dancing around the issue and trying to avoid it, we understand where that character is coming from with that. Um, so, you know, that, that's a, again, that, that's, that's a whole uh, masterclass right there in writing subtext. Um, you know, the more, the more you can get the subtext down, the better, the stronger your story will be in your screenplay. Yeah, and that was, uh, that was one of the bigger lessons that I, I took from that same masterclass. And it's, I also think it's the more you write, the better you'll get at it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just like anything. It's a muscle that you have to, you know, you have to flex. And, um, you know, the more that you do something, the better, the better you'll get in theory, <laughs> unless you yeah. just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, put it in other people's hands. When you, when you, when you have something written, it's, it's really hard to be objective to it because you know what your intent is. Did it come across that way? So give it to people who will be objective. Don't give it to your mom because your mom's not going to be objective. She's going to say, oh, it's wonderful. And it's the like, best oh, thing I've ever mom. read. I, yeah, I, I needed that little uh, uh, pick me up. But uh, yeah, you're, you're, not, you're not telling me. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, sometimes getting that feedback and getting, you know, objective um, criticism can be hard. <laughs> it's um, and the initial inclination is to fight back because someone dared critique you, and you take that as like okay, um, you know, they're, they're they're attacking you personally when no, they're not. They're just pointing out flaws that they that they perceive it may not be accurate. You know that's their perception of their opinion, um, which is why I generally give it. If something, you know, when I finish a script, I give it to several people to read um, because if they all come back with the same notes, then it's something that I need to, if it's negative, I need to, I need to address it. If they all come back saying, oh, this particular element worked really well, okay, cool. I, I'm onto something, you know, but, um, but if they're just like, you know, yeah, that ending just, or, uh, you know, the, some of the dialogue was kind of cheesy. Uh, like, okay, yeah, uh, I can write cheesy dialogue, so okay. I can address that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's something that's important, too, is to have that, I don't know if inner circle would be the right way to describe it, but have those select people that you know will give good objective feedback, because that's really the only way that you're going to learn. Because, yeah. you know... If I give you a script, you're not going to have the same attachment to it that I do. 
So you're going to see things that I don't. Same thing with, you know, if I'm editing a video and I send it to you and you notice things that that I don't. It's it's good to have that outside perspective. Now, I wouldn't go around giving it to everybody, but but I would have, you know, like I have three to four people that I send my work to. To, to get their feedback on. So I, I think having that inner circle is, is really important and, and it, it keeps you honest in my opinion. Well, you know, I, I the times that I've given feedback to people, you know, I'm, I get to the nitty gritty of things and um, you know, I'm not going to gloss over anything because my intent is to help the person, you know, improve and, and have the best, best possible screenplay that they, they can write. Um, but I can nitpick a lot, of, a lot of stuff, and sometimes people don't appreciate that. So it's like, yeah, you asked. Um, I'm giving you my opinion from a screenwriting perspective. Um, yeah. But you also have to take into consideration who. Me. <laughs> ah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, but you have to take into consideration um, the um, who the reader is. Um, are they a screenwriting expert or are they a writer in their, you know, themselves? Are they an audience member? Are they someone who um, would, are a fan of the genre that you're writing? You know, I, do they, uh, will they understand what you're trying to get across? Um, my first screenwriting teacher actually told the class, never write science fiction or fantasy. Just don't, because his thing was write what you know and write real life. And fantasy and science fiction is not real life. You're using your imagination and you're writing something that's beyond your scope of knowledge. Um, I didn't really like that instruction because that's kind of what I write. And so every assignment that I had in that semester, I wrote something that was science fiction or fantasy. And got a straight B in the class. <laughs> so he just he refused to give me an A for anything. Um, yeah, maybe I didn't deserve it. I don't know. <clears throat> but the thing is that you know sometimes like um, my my friend Lee Shapiro that I wrote several screenplays with, um, he and I had a, a comedy called Sinkhole that was a satire of disaster films. And I love this story, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it amused us. <laughs> Let me put it this way. It, 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 it still makes me laugh when I, every now and then I'll dig it out and read it. You know, just certain lines of dialogue or certain situations just strike my funny bone. But not everybody uh, found humor in it. And uh, we, we were, or I was participating in um, Francis Ford Coppola's company, Zoetrope, uh, has a website, and it's still active as far as I know. Um, but for the longest time, I was participating in a, their screenwriting group. So you could um, log in and have people read and give feedback to your script, but you had to read and critique four screenplays to get the feedback from one of yours. And so I read a lot of scripts out there and actually you know, made some friends through, through that form also. Um, but someone read Sinkhole and got onto the, there was a message board that was there and apparently didn't understand that it was a comedy. And the header for the post that she made was Stinkhole. And 
just went on talking about how we were trolling the website because she just couldn't imagine that anybody would have written this and taken it you know, as a serious screenplay. Well, it wasn't a serious screenplay. It was a comedy. It was a satire. It was kind of like Blazing Saddles or, you know, Young Frankenstein in that vein of, you know, it's something where the characters had to take it seriously, but the situation was completely ludicrous. Yeah. And scene after scene had just ludicrous, you know, events that happened, but the characters were treating it like this was, you know, real life or death situation. And so I read that and I was just like, oh, gee, uh, okay. And, you know, she honestly thought that someone would sit down and write a feature length screenplay just to troll the readers. And a bunch of other people who had read the script apparently got on and just lambasted her and said, no, this is a, you know, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. This is a comedy. And, uh, you know, so they went on and explained. And I, after like 20, you know, responses, I finally said, well, as one of the writers of the script, I can assure you that this was a realistic thing. But <laughs> the, 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 the um, capper to the story was we sent this to, um, uh, Richard Donner's production company, uh, Donner Schuler Donner Productions, and uh, this woman Mary Lambert—I <laughs> still remember her name. She uh, she read it and sent us a very nice letter in the mail that said, "This screenplay has absolutely no humor in it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so whereas other companies that read it they said that they loved it they thought it was hysterical uh it was just too big budget for a comedy and it was a disaster film so it had to have a lot of special effects and just didn't want to at that time spend a lot of money on a comedy so it never got made but uh, <laughs> i just still think uh, it was funny though it has absolutely no humor in it. none i wonder if she read the same script that the other companies did <laughs> Uh, I, I have a feeling she just either didn't have a sense of humor herself or her sense of humor was different than what was in the screenplay. And, and that's, that's the thing, you know, comedy is subjective and it's yeah. really hard. It, it, you know, what I find funny may not amuse other people. And I've certainly watched comedies that uh, have been produced and people really just love them. And I've watched it going, <laughs> so yeah it's it's very subjective and so know your audience and when you know when you're asking for feedback take that into account that other people may not quite get what you're doing and so if you have that one outlier that just comes and says i don't know i don't know i don't get it um where everybody else you know you have 10 people read it and that one person you know, just rips it apart or whatever well ask yourself is it the script or is it that person because not everything is for everybody um now if nine of the ten people come back and say yeah this doesn't work it's not good eh, maybe you need to go back and rethink. yeah <laughs> i will say as a side note before we get to my next question because you've told me the sinkhole story before it had what would have been the greatest movie tagline i think in cinematic history this well, we came sucks. up with, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was, um, I 
that was my idea actually but, uh, <laughs> Lee, Lee might uh, have, have a different memory on that but uh, remember we were we were in the middle of writing from the ashes which was a really heavy heavy post-apocalyptic type of books and as we'd be into you know this blessing scene we would just start making jokes and at the time there was all these it was kind of the height of the disaster film uh, era and just you know said yeah they're gonna run out of ideas and next you know they're gonna make a movie about hail and i believe i said or no they're gonna make a movie about a sinkhole and the tagline is this movie sucks <laughs> and so yeah then, then we came up with you know the follow-up which um was geyser the musical and uh, the tagline is this movie blows and then we'd have a uh, you know animal attacks movie because we haven't had any of those in a while. Yeah. And, and the tagline would be this movie bites. <laughs> That'd be our trilogy. <laughs> How these have not happened yet, I have zero clue. Because I would watch all three in a heartbeat. Yeah, we never could quite figure out the proper uh, geysers. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one day. We'll yeah, we'll see. <laughs> So what what to you would be some of the biggest things to avoid uh, while writing a screenplay? Um, well, one of the biggest is what I call unfilmables. Um, yeah, I'm sure that there's a technical term out there, but basically when you're writing something, um, when you're writing a screenplay, the only thing you can really put on paper is what is seen on the screen and what is heard. So dialogue, action, you know, describe the setting, describe, you know, what's going on. You can give a little bit of insight into the character motivation, if you will, um, but be kind of careful with that. But what I'm talking about on filmables is going into the character's history. Joe, who used to be the city council member that had pushed through the initiative to redo the, the sewers in the city, um, until uh, all the sewers collapsed and then he got run out of office. How are you going to communicate that to the audience? If that's important to the story, then dramatize it somehow. Put it in the dialogue, have, have characters whisper behind their backs about him as he walks by. Oh, yeah, he was a city council member that got drummed out because the sewers collapsed. Um, or show it, you know, or show newspaper clippings or something to have it, if that's important to that character, you know, where he still has cold sweats every time he walks by a sewer because he's afraid that it's, you know, one that he installed that or had installed that, you know, collapsed and it's just waiting to cave in. Um, so you, you can't put a person's history down. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, you know, okay, this, another character is introduced and Martha, um, comma, Clark's mother, comma. Okay, so you're kind of indicating, even though you've shown exactly, you're not gonna actually see her give birth, but you can get that understanding through the relationship of how they're working, you know, how they're interacting together. So something like that is okay, but, um, but be careful that you're not giving background story, you know, background information that can't be used by the actor or can't be seen by the audience. Um, another thing is their, um, their thoughts. You know, so, you know, <clears throat> you know, 
Ralph is watching this NASCAR race and thinking about how great it would be if he was behind the wheel of the car. Well, again, how is the audience going to know that unless he actually turns to the person sitting next to him and says, wow, you know how great it would be to be behind the, be behind the wheel of that car? Man, that would be awesome. Or have a voiceover or something. You know, I don't know. But you, you can't just write things and put them on the screen that won't be, won't be seen because it doesn't do anything other than the reader gets something out of it. You know, maybe, maybe the actor can work with something as far as some insight. But here again, if this guy is a NASA, a NASCAR fan, I'm sorry, you know, have him all decked out in NASCAR gear or whatever, um, you know, show it in his, you know, in his house that he has race car posters all over the place or something, you know, then we understand, oh, this is the character. It's, it's a NASCAR fan. Yeah. Um, so be careful with those. That, that's one of the main mistakes I see when people write is because um, you, you have to be efficient with writing. Um, and, and that's another thing too, is be very sparse with your wording. Um, don't be eloquent. <laughs> it's, again, it's not a novel. Um, you know, you can use fragments, you know, instead of full sentences sometimes, um, you know, boom, get, get in and, you know, be real terse with your writing, still paint a picture, which is, that's the tough thing. Create an, you know, create this, this picture of what the scene is. And, you know, so in the reader's mind, I've got that visual, cool, but you don't have to go into every single detail because you're, you're writing a blueprint for the rest of the production people, your production designer, your cinematographer, your costume designer, and so on and so forth, and of course the actors, to where um, they can take this and then they can run with it and you know, it makes up the chemical. Absolutely. Uh, we're coming up on about uh, 10 to 15 minutes left in the show. So I did want to say to those who are watching on Facebook Live, if you've got any questions that you have for Steve, feel free to throw them in the chat. We do have one uh, from Donna Kirby. Do you have or recommend a particular format for your outlines that you like to use for writing your screenplays? Um, outlines. Well, there's a couple different stages that you can go through with, with that. Um, I mean, the simplest is just start numbering your scenes, you know. Um, what I generally do is break down into the into acts. So you have act one, act two, act three. Um, act two is, is generally the longest one. If you think about a two hour movie, think in terms of half hour chunks. So first 30 minutes or 30 pages of a screenplay because a, a properly formatted uh, screenplay would be approximately a minute of, um, one page is equals a minute of uh, screen time. So, say about 30 pages is act one when you establish you know, your main characters, um, the setting, and the conflict. And then there's a decision that gets made and there's something, you know, called action and, and the problem gets dumped in the character's lap and now, boom, he has to go out and, and solve the problem. So now act two is, is developing the problem. So outlining, figure out what your act one is that, okay, at the turning point, we have 30 pages to develop. Now, again, this is a feature, feature screenplay uh, for a short. 
um, you're kind of compressing things down to where I would say just like the first minute, you know, minute or two minutes, be you know establishing what you know, who the people are in this situation and whatnot. But um, but in a feature, so you know, okay, so within 30 pages, I've got to reach these milestones, if you will, and so you can work your way to it. How do you introduce a character? What's what's the best way to build this world around us so the audience is fully fully immersed into whatever your imagination has come up with. <clears throat> then in act two, if again, based on a two hour screen, uh, script where um, you know, 100 pa 120 pages. So from page 30 to page 60, let's develop the problem. Let's put that character you know, on the road. Let's, let's give them challenges that they're having to face as they're working their way up to something. Then that midpoint turning point there at page 60, well, and I'm simplifying things, but now you've got um, a twist and things get thrown in a different direction. And now the character, you know, maybe, you know, you think of Dorothy and amassing all of her friends. And now she has to go after the witch, you know, because, you know, we're at one point they were going after the wizard, but now they have another goal to go after. And now they have to go and kill the witch. So you have that turning point and which leads to your crisis at the end of Act Two. And so let's say on page 90, um, you're at the lowest point possible. And now the characters have to do, you know, your protagonist has to make a decision that will lead to the resolution and the climax. And so when outlining, break it down into smaller chunks like that, Act One, Act Two, Act Three, the turning point in the middle of Act, act Two. And it doesn't have to be, you know, precisely on those pages, but, you know, give or take that, you know, that's kind of the goal. And then you can start filling in the scenes to reach those major milestones in the screenplay. Um, there's also a stage called a, a, a treatment where you basically take the screenplay format. So you have your slug lines, your, you know, your scene header, and then just fill in each scene with, you know, exterior barn night, and then what happens there. And then the next scene is, you know, interior living room day. And then what happens there? You don't have to go into really elaborate detail. You don't have to flesh out the dialogue. If you know that there's lines of dialogue you want to put in, sure, you know, go ahead and throw it in. But basically get that treatment down to where now you have um, it in what's looking like screenplay format and it flows and you can kind of read the story and see if the story works. And if you need to rearrange scenes, that's the best time to do it because you're, you're not locked into anything where you have all these intertwining threads that have to be um, you know, <laughs> re-sewn when you, when you move things around. Um, you know, if you delete scenes or you have to add more scenes you have to make the story make sense, whatever. That's the stage kind of to do that. And once you have that solid where you feel pretty comfortable about it, then start fleshing out the dialogue and the action. Most of the writing is done for you now. Now that's the fun part, but it's a lot of work. And yeah, a lot of people don't like uh, doing all the work that it needs to, <laughs> to to reach that point. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Um, some a couple more th more things I wanted to chat about uh, <clears throat> before we end the show: rewriting. Mm -hmm. So your script is done. You send it to your inner circle, whoever it might be. Well, because I should say the, the first draft is done. Yeah, the first draft is done, yeah. <laughs> so that your first draft is done, 
you send it out to your inner circle. They give you feedback, and then you decide, okay, well, now I've got to start writing the second draft. What what would be the advice you would give for those who are doing rewrites? Well, what I usually do is I will print it out, and and not everybody will do this, of course, but like this is a feature screenplay here, Maelstrom, which uh, just um, got accepted into but I've gone through and you can see here, like made little notes in red <laughs> because it's easy to see. So the red line, this one, because I've gone through so many drafts, this was just try to, um, you know, fix some problems that I, that I knew I had. So I've gone through, you know, here's another example. Of, uh, sorry about that. Um, so I've red line, you know, just crossed out words or made notes. And so, a lot of the rewriting is done for me by hand, just you know, jotting down notes and saying, "Okay, this is this is a an area that I need to address." Um, I usually end up then going back in into the file, and you know, I'll go through and add my notes. Um, some screenwriting programs, like Movie Magic Screenwriter that I use, has a feature to where you can put notes in there that you can either print or not print, depending on you know your choice. Um, but you can say, okay, this scene needs. So for those of you who may not want, you know, want to waste paper and writing it out, go through and make notes in the file. And because as you're reading it, things will occur to you that yeah, this line doesn't look right. Um, there's the uh, urge, if you will, to start rewriting as you're reading through, and I do that a lot. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the best way. I mean, some people might work, um, but for me, if I make notes and then I can go back through after I've read the whole thing and just you know be objective myself with it, then I can go through and see what the notes were that I made and then change things as I'm writing. Um, but as far as feedback from other people, take it seriously, with a grain of salt too, to some degree, because you know some people, like I said, might have, um, you know, just, they, they might be reading things from a different perspective than what you, where you're coming from. And, but, you know, consider each of the notes that they give you and, and either accept it or reject it. And you know, if you don't think that it's something that is really worth uh, addressing, don't. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, usually you'll go through three or four drafts before, it gets solid. I would say, you know, get go through and get it, get a draft done before you try to rewrite, because that's that's a mistake a lot of people make. Is trying you'll never to, finish if that happens. You never finish, and, and I've I've run into that myself. So, um, but you know, one one advantage of printing it out is you have this document here, and it's I mean you feel the weight, and now it's not bound, but if you find it with some brads, um, you know, it, it's kind of cool. It's yeah. like, oh, wow, you know, this is, uh, this is an accomplishment. Short films, you know, a little bit easier, but, you know, be, be very critical and, you know, look at unnecessary characters, can you combine characters, cut scenes, can you cut dialogue, can you start a scene later than what you have it in the script? Can you end it earlier than what you have it in the script? You know, it's always rule of thumb is come in to a scene late and leave early. And, you know, the pacing is the pacing that um, 
know, so these are all things, you know, make a list, dialogue, you know, we were talking about that earlier, read through just the entire script, just reading your protagonist dialogue and see if you can beef up that character just in that dialogue and then go through the supporting characters, your antagonists, and, you know, take it one character at a time and see if every line of dialogue that particular character says is in character with what he or she would be saying. No, absolutely. Um, and last thing before before we get out of here. So you've written your final draft. Your script is done. What do you do next? Um, move on to the next one. <laughs> 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 okay. Um, well, here again, it gets back to what your intent is with it. Um, if we're talking about a short film that you want to produce, then um, by all means, figure out what the what you need to do to get this produced. Um, if that means, if you're gonna direct it, terrific. Are you gonna try to partner up with a producer who can break the script down and figure out a budget for you? And, uh, you know, can you do that yourself? Or, you know, because it's going into production is, is its own set of headaches that uh, I won't even get into. Um, but as far as a feature, um, what is your intent with this feature? Is it, something that you're going to try to raise money for and shoot yourself? Um, in which case, is it something that realistically you can get the budget for? And again, you're going to have to bring in a producer if you don't know how to do this yourself, write down the script, budget it out, schedule it out, figure out what all the elements are that you're going to need to do this. Um, because package, I'm in the middle of doing that right myself, um, trying to package a feature film and get financing for it. That's a, it's a tough, uh, tough thing to do. Um, if you're going to sell it, then, you know, you need to think about, okay, what's the best way of going about that? Getting an agent, getting a manager, trying to get, you know, sign up for IMDb Pro and you can get a listing of a lot of different professionals in there. You start trying to contact production companies yourself in saying, in, in pitching it to them. Um, if there's, because yeah, that, that, that's, that's a whole other uh, situation is pitching it to companies. And, you know, right now, well, right now it, it's kind of a weird time with coronavirus and everything, but in general, um, you know, the film industry is at a different place in 2020 than it was in 2010 and it wasn't 2000. Um, things have moved to more of a, um, blockbuster mentality from major studios and smaller, more personal films are tended to go into streaming or uh, cable services. And um, so there's a really big uh, disparity between types of films being made. And so you have to kind of figure out, okay, who is the best person to, or company to make this? And so try to start reaching out to them. Um, if your film is a festival, or your script is a festival piece, um, and that's really all you want to do is just get it into contests, um, go onto Film Freeway and start looking at what screenplay contests are out there. Blue Cat screenplay competition is you know, kind of gold standard. Um, but there's a lot of them out there. Um, if your film is, is a genre, if the story is a genre like science fiction, fantasy, or horror, or whatnot, um, see if there's a contest or festival that specializes in that. Um, 
see if they offer feedback and also look at the fee because this could be really expensive. Um, count on minimum $35 to enter a, a screenplay contest. So unless you have a lot of money at hand, um, it's, it's gonna be expensive to get it out there and get, get into contests. And chances are you're not win anything, or, you know, especially if you get feedback for your money, um, that's always a good yeah, festivals, I feel like that could be its own separate podcast. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, in closing, well, first off, I want to thank you for having this really informative chat. I've been excited to do this since you know we booked it, I think it was like a week ago. So thank you for, uh, I know we've been kind of talking off and on since um, since Pensacon. So it, it was good to uh, good to chat with you on the show. Well, thank you for bringing me on. And, and bear in mind, too, you know, I, I'm... Things I've said and advice I've given, um, you know, it's coming from my own perspective. Other people may have different uh, different takes on, on how they approach things. Um, and we're actually, um, I'm going to be moderating a, a panel on this topic on uh, the 23rd of the month, uh, July 23rd, uh, Thursday, I believe, um, through through Emmercoast Filmmakers, and we've got um, a panel of screenwriters and screenwriting teachers. And, script consultants and you know professionals who uh you know, do this every day so um uh, what i've kind of talked about is just kind of scratches the surface and uh, so they might have a completely different perspective on things than what i what i have that's why you'll have to tune in on july 23rd which i believe that's going to be at 7 p.m so just follow emerald coast filmmakers on uh facebook and you'll be able to, to watch that. We do have one more question uh, in closing. This is from Joseph Velez. In closing, what's your take on the trajectory of the film industry? Well, um, I think once uh, we get past uh, this situation that we have right now with uh, um, where, where the industry can get back to work, um, it, it's going to be a different animal. Um, right now, we've got theaters that are currently open, which largely drive, drive-in theaters or um, little you know, independent uh, theaters. They're showing a lot of old movies. Uh, Empire Strikes Back was the number one movie this past weekend. I read that. Jurassic that was Park, great. Yeah, and Jurassic Park was uh, number one a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of cool that these uh, classic films that uh, I grew up on are, um, are back in the theater for people to, to see again. Uh, Unfortunately, not around this neck of the woods, but um, but the thing is that theaters will be opening up again, um, and the, the studios are going to have to figure out some way of, of surviving um, because it's you know like I said they, we've kind of gone for you know these extremes to where it's either two hundred fifty million dollar blockbusters or micro budget films it's there's very few just middle of the ground you know like knives out was probably um most uh um what i can come up with as far as kind of a middle of the road budgeted film and i don't even know what the budget was for that movie um but uh, i think we're going to see a lot more um films on streaming um right now they're just they're hungry for content because uh, industry's been shut down for six months so uh, nobody's been making anything uh, 
I think we might end up with a lot of things uh, of shows here pretty soon. Yeah. And, uh, so we'll see. It's it's an interesting time we're living in, if nothing else. That's putting it mildly. I I expect I was having, actually having this conversation the other day. I expect that once the film industry can get back to work, I think we're going to see this huge surge in creativity because yeah. those who write can still write at home. Oh, yeah. So it's just a matter and, of getting it made. And I recommend while you're if you're working from home, you're sitting at home. If you're not working, uh, <laughs> then by all means, put your creativity to work. Uh, you know, I was out of work for a period of time, and I uh, that's when I wrote Paradigm, and uh, which has ended up winning a couple of awards recently and done quite well at a couple other festivals. And um, so. Um, yeah, I mean, sit down and, and do it. You know, don't waste time. It's uh, use time that you have right now to be productive. I couldn't have said it better myself. So, is there anything else that you want to plug before we call this a show? Um, just uh, like I said, we've got the panel on uh, seven o'clock on uh, July twenty third, and we're talking more about screenwriting. So if you want to check out uh, anything else about me, um, check out my website, stephenjwise.com, and uh, our Facebook page, it's under the same thing. So, uh... Fantastic. Steve, thank you again so much for, for coming on the show. This was, this was awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I always enjoy talking with you. No, absolutely. And if you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. If you want to subscribe to the show, I'm on YouTube as well as all podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all those fun places where you can get your podcast for free. And also thank you to the Unicorn Wranglers for providing the theme music for the show. You can check out their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again to Steve, and we'll see you guys back here next week for another fun episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. 